Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to episode 101 of Maximize Your Influence. Steve Olson here along with Kurt Mortensen. I'm on the road today, so I'm not sure exactly how I sound. It could be nails on the chalkboard. could be the, the usual awesome self that you tune into, but we're all here for Kurt. Uh, how you doing, man? Hey, I'm recovering. I'm, uh, I was a little tired. I was telling you that I got major dad points this weekend. You got dad points. How's that? I got dad points my... 14-year-old daughter. <laughs> if you guys know, it's called One Direction. It's a boy band. They're out of England. We flew to Pittsburgh, and I took her to this concert. <laughs> oh, wow. I, my head's still spinning. I'm not sure what happened. I know that she's happy. We did Niagara and a few other things. They put on a show. She was excited. I got my points. I'm still trying to figure out, uh, trying to know if I need to recover from that or if I, <laughs> what I need to do. But uh, she was happy, that's all that matters, and I got my dad points. Yeah, you're in a big arena with a bunch of screaming uh, tweens, so (laughs) that's confusing. That was a funny thing, the band even said, we want to thank the moms and dads, the aunts and uncles, the (laughs) brothers and sisters that brought, (laughs) and we're like, yeah! (laughs) Here's the amazing thing, here's a full stadium, This this is where the Steelers play, this is Heinz Field, I mean, this is a big venue. And I would go to the restroom, and I was the only person in there. <laughs> what? Only person for the guy side, right? Now I'm sure that wasn't true with the girl side. Okay, the guy okay. Side, it was like ghost town. It was kind of eerie in a lot of ways because usually in a venue like that, that's it's packed. You kind of look around, but that was where I could kind of get my alone time, I guess, if I needed to because <laughs> it was empty. But she had fun. That's all that matters. And yeah, <laughs> I'm back, but really tired. You want to go shooting later? That's probably what you need to do. Yeah, I need to get my man card back or something. I need to do something. Yeah. <laughs> get ribs, go shooting, and uh, what else do I need to do? Go break something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, could go, we could go shoot propane tanks or something. That probably, oh, there you go. that's the antidote for a One Direction concert <laughs> with a bunch of tweens. To kind of counteract that uh, psychological damage that it did. Well, I can, I can <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is the Twilight Zone. You're at a huge football stadium in a bathroom all by yourself with uh, One Direction and a bunch of tweens out there. That's that's the Twilight Zone. That's weird. It is. That's why it was so eerie. It just really struck me as odd because usually there's lines and things happen and people, and it was nothing. I mean, you could hear the noise and the screaming in the band, but as far as they were just kind of silence, no one was there. But if you were a guy at that concert, it was an instant bond anyway. Oh, yeah. Okay. Hey, yeah. <laughs> I, I know what you're going through. Yeah, we, we, we share a common struggle. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. We were just fleeced by one direction. <laughs> yeah, t-shirt. Yeah, got to get one of those. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. program. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How often do you see somebody's concert shirt and you really care, right? It's just. I know. It's but the- when you're there, it makes sense. Got to have it. Got to have it. And they did it well. <laughs> nice. Well, welcome back from from Pittsburgh and uh, the Northeast and One Direction. Glad to have you, everybody. Thanks again for all your comments and your reviews. We still have that offer out there on the reviews on iTunes because last week was our 100th episode for Maximize Your Influence. So what we need you to do, if you want free stuff, free obviously being less than the cost of a Honda Civic, 
we need you to go to iTunes, just type in into Google, type iTunes, maximize your influence. You'll see the show there, and we want you to leave a review. Talk about, hey, I listened to the show, it's awesome, or it's terrible, whatever. The criteria here is leave a review. <laughs> it's up to you what it says. But once you've done that, we just need you to email us at maximizeyourinfluence at gmail.com. Tell us, hey, I left a review, my name is so-and-so, that way we can just check it out, verify you're not some kind of scam artist scamming us away from our free stuff, and uh, we're going to give you a free coaching session one-on-one -on -one with us, talk about uh, your business, uh, give you some tips of what you can do going forward, and a subscription to universityofpersuasion.com. How's that, uh, Kurt? I like it. You like well, you better. I mean, this is yeah. the second week in a row we've been talking about it. <laughs> so, what would be great if you could help us out with those reviews? And always feel free to send us your feedback, your comments, your suggestions. If you've got some kind of persuasion hurdle you just can't get over, we'll talk about it on the show. Email us at maximizeyourinfluence at gmail.com. That's where you can find us. So, that's the housekeeping stuff. Why don't we kick it off? Where's Urkel, Kurt? Okay, here's your friend. Go, Urkel. <laughs> Go, Urkel. So we've got a geeky article moment. This one brought to us by Kurt. He's back with an obscure psychological journal. Um, I'm guessing the Journal of Nordic Psychology. <laughs> well, I'm not going to follow the strange journal name. This is actually on a psychological blog coming from the book called Leverage. But we are going to follow the theme of having a name that's hard for, to pronounce. <laughs> yes, good. So it's Claire Doratek Nana is the author that talks about something that's interesting, something more along the lines that we've talked about willpower in the past. This is a stages of mental strength, building mental strength that mental strength can actually be a muscle, which is interesting because during my personal development, actually today I was listening to the Einstein factor where it talked about why Einstein was so smart. They mentioned Edison. And it's interesting when you look at those guys, both of them were labeled as stupid, dumb. They were slow learners. They took forever to talk. They didn't do well in school, but their mental strength, their ability to visualize actually got them to the top of their class, top of the field. What they did, of course, they're some of the smartest people in the world. It was interesting that it took them a while to get to that point. And these guys are saying that, you know, these things can be developed. Even the Einstein factor says IQ can be increased. It's not just there. It can be increased. So it's interesting that mentally strong people are not born that way. It's not a genetic gift, but we can actually enhance it. And I believe this. I really do. And she goes through a few things as far as developing our mental strength, which is important, which is going to help us with focus, which is going to help us with self-persuasion. The first one she talks about is disruption. She says we don't get stronger when things go our way, right? And we want them to go our way, but she says, no, we get stronger when we face events that scare us, challenge us, or force us to rise. And that's true, whether it's putting yourself out there to do a public speaking event or doing something that gives you fear. I mean, that gives you strength. That gives you energy. That's a little disruption. That stretches you, and that helps your mental strength. Then she also talks about uncertainty. This happens when we don't have the answer. It doesn't seem clear. We don't know what to do, what to do next. And this causes us to look for more information, do a little research, to ponder about things. She says that gives us mental strength. She talks about, too, mental strength coming from searching for meaning, where if you ask mentally strong people about their lives before and after feeling strong, they'll tell you two things. Their strength is in direct proportion to the challenges they faced, and their lives now have much more meaning. So that purpose, that passion, Realizing your DNA coded for greatness, that there's things you need to accomplish and, and you're following that road. You've thought about it. You've pondered it. You know, how are you going to change the world? How are you going to make the world a better place? They're all 
things that help us search for meaning. It gives us more of that mental strength. And the final one that was interesting, she talked about building agency. She says, mental strength doesn't exist in a vacuum, and even the strongest people need others to recognize and validate their strength. Because mental strength needs a place to attach. It needs something larger than itself to give it purpose. A superhero, after all, needs a villain to save. And the reason is that people feel best when they are using their strengths to help other people. So she talks about agency, helping other people, getting into those strengths, all important things. I think the big lesson here is, number one, our IQ isn't stagnant. Our persuasion IQ isn't stagnant. Our mental strength isn't stagnant. These are all things we can build and grow no matter our age that we can really enhance our skills and take things to the next level. We have to stretch a little bit. And I love to say this to people. I said, a lot of times when you decide to be great in your field or whatever you want to do, it's like exercising for the first time in five years, okay? It hurts because you haven't been doing what you're supposed to be doing. But after a while, it doesn't hurt. After a while, it feels good. After a while, you start to crave it. After a while, you start to see some great results. And I believe that's true for mental strength. I believe that's true as well. A lot of people are going to tell you that you're born a certain way, you're predisposed to these skills and these different attributes. And maybe that's the case, right? I mean, we're, we're born and you and I were both raised in English-speaking households. That's the language that we speak and that we're most comfortable in. But uh, you and I both happen to speak another language, too, that we, we were able to learn and we're not as comfortable in that as we are in English, but we're proficient. We can get the job done. So if you think that you're not born a certain way with certain skills, it doesn't mean that you can't learn them. And wow, mental toughness and mental strength is, uh, along with optimism, probably one of the best attributes you can have if you're in sales and persuasion. Oh, yeah. And I learned this from one of my early mentors, Jim Rohn, because a lot of times you're like, well, yeah, if I do this, if I go back to school, if I work in this, you know, that'll take me five years. I'll be, I'll be five years older. And yep. he's like, says, well, you're going to be five years older no matter what. I mean, you're still yeah, yeah. <laughs> going to be older. That's not going to change anything. You can't use that for excuse. So choose something you want to become great at. Increase your mental strength, your persuasion IQ, your emotional intelligence. And it can be learned. You just have to decide to do it. There you go. Good article. Thank you, Kurt, from some obscure blog. I guess you're branching out now. I am. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Well, we want to introduce a couple of things that we've talked about. It's been a long time ago. In, in some of the first episodes that we did here on Maximize Your Influence, if you've read one of Kurt's books, Maximum Influence, you know that he identified 12 different laws of persuasion. And these are things that over about 15 years, and heck, it's been longer than that now, Kurt, it's over 20, that uh, you did a lot of research and identified these things. And I like that they're called laws. They imply something similar to the law of physics, where it's just how it is. And that's how these laws are. There are different things that if you do them, people will just react a certain way. It's what they do. And so we've had some feedback as to going over some of that stuff, and I think it's important. It's important to continually analyze your presentation and what you do to make sure that you're taking maximum advantage of these laws of persuasion. And one of them that we want to talk about today is the law of expectations. I had an interesting week last week, Kurt, where my business partner and I, we had a couple of deals we were working on, and some of them finished, and they didn't go according to expectation. Now, I'm a little bit more adaptable on that kind of stuff, right? I'm, 
I'm in sales. It's what I do. He is not. He's much more analytical, much more detail-oriented. So I bet you can imagine that something not going exactly according to plan is a lot harder for him to digest than it was for me, right? <laughs> and this was tough because expectations, whether it was rightful or not, he had certain expectations that were not met. And the uphill battle I had last week with making things right with him, it was tough. It was really, really hard because I did not properly manage expectations. And in the persuasion sphere, sometimes our prospects have expectations, right, of what our product is going to be like. Sometimes we have expectations of how they're going to behave. In any case, being aware of those and managing them and sometimes creating new expectations is a great way to make the sales process go a lot more smoothly. What was some of the information that you started to discover when you identified the law of expectations? Well, things that we expect to happen tend to happen. Things we look for, we tend to see. And as persuaders, if we can fly below the radar, we can really change the expectations of people and what they do. For me, give you a couple examples. If I hand somebody a pen with the contract or the paperwork, statistically increases the chances they're going to sign it. If I'm knocking on someone's door and I want to come in and I'm wiping my feet on the doormat, it increases my chances that I'm going to come in. It doesn't guarantee it. Sometimes we are in a restaurant and we feel guilty for ordering water. That's an expectation. We go into a store, we feel guilty for not buying. That's a set expectation. Or In fact, you could play this prank at work, although you didn't hear it on this podcast, but let me tell you a fun little trick that you can do. You get three or four of you together, you pick a coworker that maybe has been rubbing you the wrong way, and just one at a time throughout the day, someone comes up and say, man, are you sick? Are you okay? You look a little pale. And they're like, no, I'm fine. What are you talking about? The other coworker comes up and says, hey, you look green. Are you all right? What's going on? You look a little sick. You, you doing okay? I'm, I'm okay, right? The third person by the fourth person, they feel sick. They go home. That's the power. That's the negative side of expectations. But what we expect with confidence tends to happen. And we can really adjust expectations and manage those expectations. Because just like you mentioned with your partner or even we've talked about on seminars before, if we don't hit those expectations up front, if our expectations don't sink, frustration Many people don't realize the emotion frustration comes from unmet expectations. And they could be spoken or unspoken. They could have pulled it out of the hat as far as where that expectation came from. But if we don't address those expectations, that expectations, that frustration can quickly turn into anger. Oh, yes, it can. Yes, it can. Mm -hmm. We've all experienced it. And so sometimes we can manage it through marketing. Maybe it's initial presentation. We can kind of frame what the person is going to expect about our product. Is, is there any way to, to do that through speech patterns or anything? What have you noticed that allows us to create some favorable expectations? Sometimes just how we package things. It could be word choice, presuppositions, better commands we can talk about. A couple interesting experiments happened. One, well, this wasn't even an experiment. It was an accident where this company sent out a coupon for new tires is what it was for. And they made a mistake on the coupon. It actually cost them more for, for people to use these coupons. <laughs> but it didn't matter. They had the same response rate because coupon, expectations, saving money, people didn't really do the math and realize they were getting charged more. Or here's one done at Harvard University. 
I don't know how believable this is, but it's done at Harvard Bowl. This is really interesting. It was a rat maze experiment. So they got the students together. They gave them rats. They say, okay, there's the maze. You need to time them going through this maze. This half, you guys get the smart rats. This half, you guys get the dumb rats. Okay, hello. Ding, ding, ding. These are rats. Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> same rats. <laughs> these are the same rats. But surprisingly, or not surprisingly, these smart rats had better scores and better times. There's just something about expectation, especially when you talk about children. We can talk about a lot of experiments with that. But here's another interesting one done at a college. And this goes back to word choice and how words can change our expectations. So someone's coming to speak, right? Guest lecturer in the one half of the class said, okay, you need to take notes. This speaker's cold, industrious, practical, and determined. The other half, they said, okay, the speaker's warm, industrious, practical, and determined. So the only difference was cold and warm. Everything else was the same. But that one word changed the expectations, changed the evaluations of that speaker, and they got very different things as far as one speaker being very cold and the other one being very warm. So there's things that we see all the time with even school children, the expectations, and it's the same with adults. But let's talk about some things with, with children. So you give a child, let's say, I think it was this third grade, a candy with a wrapper. So they unwrap the candy, they eat the candy, and guess where the wrapper goes? On the floor. There we go. Spoken as a true parent, on the floor. Makes no logical sense, but that's the easiest thing for kids to do. That's what they do. We won't go into psychology of that. So they count the number of wrappers on the floor. But over the next couple of weeks, the teacher says, you know what? You guys are thinking, I think you have the cleanest class I've ever had. Thank you for being my clean class. You guys are great being the clean class. Custodian writes on the board, thank you for being such a clean class. The vice principal comes in, hey, I hear you guys are a clean class. We really appreciate Thanks for doing that. And oh, lo and behold, two weeks later, they hand out the candy, and very few rappers made it on the floor. And that's true in business. That's true in marketing. That's true in presentations. You really have to manage expectations and create the right expectations for persuasive atmosphere. You're right, because that's something that is so subconscious. Near my house, there's a lot of construction going on right now, and a new restaurant came in about six months ago. And, in fact, you were one of the people that told me this. Hey, have you gone to XYZ Restaurant? That's not the name of it. I'm leaving it out. It's supposed to be really good. And I heard a few other people say, Hey, yeah, have you gone to, to such and such? It's supposed to be really good. Somehow, this company had created the marketing buzz to just get out there and get this reputation. Hey, we're really good. Which, hey, what restaurant wouldn't want to do that, right? Mm -hmm. So I went there, and I didn't have anything else to go on other than, hey, this is supposed to be really good. And I was disappointed. I was like, this this isn't good. What's the big deal about this place? What's everybody talking about? But just other people telling me to expect it's going to be good was enough to get me to go there. Now I'm not going to go back course i never have been but get this buzz going out there where people try to tell you through commercials and marketing and advertising hey we're this expect this and because of all the variables that the human brain has to take into account in order to process information and form an opinion decide what it wants to think it can't do it all there's just too many things to analyze so therefore somebody telling us hey expect this the brain almost does that shortcut and has that paradigm that it sees everything through. And it says, hey, this is good. This is good. Even though somebody else with different expectations could be thinking totally the opposite. They got one of the dumb rats. 
<laughs> we see that marketing can backfire. You know, I know it happens to movies all the time. Someone, oh, it was the greatest ever, and my expectations are so high. I'm like, oh, no, it wasn't. Yeah, that's so true. So we got to be careful with that and how people manage that, whether it's food or, or restaurants. I think that bites Apple in the rear end sometimes because people expect so much yeah, yeah. Apple and what they do and their packaging and their product. Sometimes they come up with something like, all right, it's okay. It's not that different. Why did I spend that money? So hype can be a good thing, but if it's way up there, it can backfire on you. It's true. They have, uh, you know, you open up an Apple product and you're just expecting great things. The packaging that they, they do. I had that once where I, I had bought an Apple product and then a, a PC product within about two months of each other. And I think it was a Dell. I don't even know if Dell's an, a thing anymore. But it showed up, UPS, an old cardboard box kind of thing, a little bit beat up, right? Well, the Apple shows up in that glossy, smooth box, and it's this whole process with the smell and everything to open it. So they know how to do it right. Take an honest look at your product. Hype expectations too much, and people are bound to be disappointed. Yeah, especially changing packaging, trying to save money. There was this nutritional drink in this really fancy, almost a wine-type thick bottle, or really, it just reeked of quality, but they wanted to save money, and they ended up putting it in a bag. <laughs> Which, you know, you save money, but then again, the expectations, it throws things out of whack. What can people apply today to get expectations on their side? You went through all this research. What are some of the techniques that are available? I think a big one that we can take away right now comes from, if you've ever studied neurolinguistic programming, NLP, and there's a lot of things out there with NLP. I want to I make sure that qualify and show you that these things work. One that we know that works is called the presupposition. And it's basically you're presupposing that they're going to do business with you. They're presupposing they're going to buy. You're talking like they've already bought the house. Presupposition would be something like, okay, where do you want to put the piano in the house? A presupposition would have the, chi the kids run upstairs and choose a room if you're showing a house. A presupposition would be, when do you want your couch sent? Presupposing. You got the couch, or you're really going to love how this car handles in the mountain. Presupposes they're going to do it. When you say you're going to love being part of this committee, presupposes they're going to be on the committee. Those are things that can be powerful. You should be talking as a persuader in presuppositions so they can see themselves doing it, they can visualize themselves doing it. And here's a simple way to apply this too a presupposition we can use and use it sparingly is that simple thing we've seen at the end of the email. Thanks in advance, presupposing you're going to do what you yeah. are asking them to do. That's a good point. So a question that you're sitting down with purchasing manager at, at some company, you're trying to sell them your widgets. Is it a bad idea to say, if we do business together, you'll find that, and then you rattle off. So is that bad or good or neutral? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't like the if we do business. I would say if I was going to use it, say, okay, when we're doing business. So we can package that a little bit better. But I think it make it a little more simple to say, all right, this is how it's going to work. Let me just kind of paint the picture for you. Yeah, yeah. So this is what's going to happen. Here's the delivery date. Here's the warranty. If you have any challenges, it's going to happen. So you're building it. You're painting it. You're just assuming it. Don't need to ask their permission. You're just walking them through it. Because if they can't visualize, if they can't see themselves doing it, they're not going to do it. That's where you get all these knee-jerk objections that make no sense because they can't see themselves using your product or service. But when you use presuppositions, they can visualize it. They can taste it, touch it, and feel it. Yeah, all that doubt has to be removed. They, they need to really know what it's going to be like. That uh, the confused mind says no all the exactly. time. Yeah. Anything else on expectations before we move on? Another easy one. This is also from NLP's Embedded Commands. This one's pretty interesting as far as the words we use. 
They're short, they're concise. We see this on the internet all the time where on marketing pages where words are italicized or they're bolded, they're underlined, they're different colors. What happens is that bypasses the conscious mind and goes right to the subconscious mind. And we see this quite a bit. And the studies do show there is a bump in your persuadability when you're using embedded commands. And you have to do it in the right way in your tone of voice and how you use this. But you have to make sure they're short and concise. For example, one would be have a Pepsi day. And the embedded command is have a Pepsi. And these are usually about two to four words. We see them a lot in persuasive writing, but we can also use them with our tonality and our voice when we're doing presentations. But these are things that can work very well. As parents, a lot of times we use them in the wrong way to where we say, don't walk in the street with the embedded command being walk in the street or don't crash or don't get hurt. And even as managers, we say the wrong things, we embed the wrong things, and they think of the wrong things when they're doing that. But you can find lists of embedded commands that they're in maximum influence. For example, become wealthy. This is going to happen. Act now. And our favorite is, by now you realize with the embedded command being now. And I heard one the other day in a presentation that was awesome. They're like, you, like me, <laughs> with the embedded <laughs> command being, hey, you like me, it was used really, really well. So it has to be below the radar, but it has been proven to work. And it's a really interesting science to study. That's some cold-blooded stuff there. That's uh, <laughs> You, like me, have found that... I like you. Here's my money. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, that's that's funny because it's like you say, I know you're always careful to point out on embedded commands that the research is there. Some people might be thinking, oh, I'd never be persuaded by that. But especially when it's in writing through marketing, copy, websites, whatever, if you salt a bunch of those in there, they do get through to the, the subconscious mind and they increase the response rate, definitely. And that's the key. If they're above the radar, it's not going to do it. Or you're thinking, oh, this is going to be cheesy. They're going to sense it. This has to be natural and part of you. You have to practice it. You just can't throw it out there. These are things that take some work to use but can make a big difference in the bottom line. Yeah. By now, you realize that you need to go to universityofpersuasion.com. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. You, like me, <laughs> that it'll change your life forever. Yes. There you go. All right. Why don't we cue up the ninja? All right, ninja go! So sometimes this particular ninja has been a blunder, and they go back and forth on things, but I had an experience with them the other day that uh, it, it was pretty good, and, and people get tired of me talking about Apple, whether it's good or bad. I've had times where I thought they were amazing, other times where I thought them texting me on my phone when I walked into the store was a little creepy, a little... Uh, invasive of the personal space but uh, I, I recently bought a new desktop computer through apple and you know this is frustrating about electronics kurt you own an electronic device for more than a couple of years completely outdated and totally useless right this particular product was an imac and it was i think i bought it in 2006 2007 I had taken it in for repairs like two years ago, and they said, we can't repair it. It's vintage. They called my computer vintage. That's <laughs> good for old packaging. Yeah, there. I know. Isn't that good? That's like leftovers, vintage cuisine, right? <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, maybe this isn't a piece of crap. It's vintage. I actually caught myself saying, well, if it's vintage, maybe I should put it on eBay. I mean, maybe somebody will give me a bunch of money for this old crappy computer. So that's a good way of saying, hey, we're not going to service your product. It's too old. They told me it's vintage. So anyways, what I ended up doing 
Because I bought a new one, and I transferred everything straight over from the old one to the new one. Well, this new one was just running terribly. It was just like the old one. And I figured, you know what, probably some of the settings from my old computer are on this new one. And I'm putting old gas into a new engine, and it's just not working. So I called up Apple, and I said, hey, here's the problem. And uh, wow, I got some customer service. That It's why I go back. People know, and not meant as an insult to uh, our listeners on the Indian subcontinent, but, <laughs> you know, you're in America, you call for tech support, and it's kind of frustrating talking to somebody across the world that says their name is Wayne, and you know it is not Wayne. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, when you call Apple, you get Bob from California, and he took me through step by step and even called me personally the next morning from a real number and gave me a phone number and an email address to call him back directly, right? When was the last time you got to talk to the same customer support person if you wanted to? Usually it's, hey, here's your ID number, and sorry, the guy 700 cubicles down was the one talked to you, and uh, he's not here today. So it, they, they fixed the issue, and they followed up proactively and gave me a personal contact for somebody to talk to in the future if I was to have any problems. That's what I signed up for. We talk about expectations, right? People have high, expect, high expectations for Apple products, and uh, that's one instance where they really did meet them. So they're the ninja for this week. Good job, Apple. Kudos to Apple, and that's a great lesson to all the marketers and people have product out there is you're more than happy to pay a premium for a great product, but your expectations are high, and when those are met, you will always pay extra. That's part of the price. People go cheaper and cheaper, poor customer service, and after a while, it's just no use. People won't buy it anymore. They're tired of the runaround. It costs them a little extra to have someone out of California to do it. You pay a little extra. Everyone's happy. Your expectations are fulfilled, and you are a fan of the Apple. Yes, I am. So thanks a lot, Apple. Thanks a lot, everybody, for listening to the show this week. It was episode 101, talked about law of expectations. Make sure you send us your feedback, your comments, questions, insults, suggestions to maximizeyourinfluence at gmail.com. We will talk to you next week. Catch you next week.